good morning, church. I feel like I say it every time I preach, but my prevailing thought as I come up those steps every single time is I love this church. Uh, and I love being here. I love that our family's here. Um, I love singing with you all and worshiping with you all and praying with you all. And I mean, what a great morning of worship. I think there's no, we don't sing louder than when we sing about the blood. And we're just so blessed to be here. If you have your Bibles, you could open up to Luke chapter 11. We are uh, in between series, our preaching series right now. We just finished off a series on what are we doing here. Uh, we talked about what is the church here to do. And so we talked a lot about exalting Christ first and foremost. Uh, but we do that through evangelism. We do that through loving one another and all the wonderful characteristics that make Valley Bible Church the church that it is. But one of the other things that I've really appreciated, our family's really appreciated about this church in the three months, three plus months now that we've been with you all, is that this is a praying church. And we have really appreciated that. We've really benefited from that. That's not just something you say you do, but you design your services around prayer. Prayer happens at, you know, each of the different meetings when the church gets together. And prayer is a wonderful thing. And that song we just sung was a prayer. Lord, would you use us Right. Arms open wide, whatever you want, whatever you want to do with our lives, have your way. And that is a prayer that is easy to pray and easy to sing in the intensity of a moment, but it's also a prayer that can be pretty terrifying, because we don't know exactly where the Lord's going to lead us in this life. Christ prayed that prayer, not my will, but yours be done, and it led him to the cross. And so if we want to live lives for the glory of the Father, through the Son, through the blood of the Son, it might take us to some scary places. But I promise you this, that you'll find no more joy in your life than if you pray those prayers. A life of meaning and fulfillment and joy and purpose is going to be found when it, you make it not about your will, but His will being done and His glory going to the nations. And that's really what this prayer is all about. The Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be looking at it, and it really comes at this pivotal point in Christ's ministry. And the great part about these 13 verses that we'll look at is that Christ gives us what we are to pray in the first four verses, but also tremendous encouragement unto why and how we can pray, because we have a loving Father who wants to involve us in what he's doing in the world. And so let's pray, and then we'll look through this together. Father, that is our prayer. I hope that's our prayer. I hope that it truly is the prayer of every single person in this room, that we would want your kingdom to come, and that we'd be laying our lives down for your sake. Not because you force us to, not because you demand us to, but because we want to. Because we've seen you. We just spent the morning singing about it. You ransomed us through the blood of your son. We were a wretch. We weren't beautiful to you. There was nothing in us that caused you to come and rescue us. It was all just because you wanted to show your grace and your power and your mercy and your kindness and your sacrificial love so that we would see you for who you are that we'd be freed from our sins, that we would glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, and that we would gladly lay our lives down for your sake, 
This is a prayer that reflects those priorities. And I pray it's a prayer that we would pray, that we would learn to pray. The disciples came to Jesus asking him to teach them to pray. And so teach us to pray. Teach us to pray this way. Thank you that we have a Savior who teaches us how to pray, that we don't have to figure it out on our own, that he gives us the template for prayer. And it's not just a template that will see your glory come. It will also be a template that sees all of our needs met for your glory. And it's a template that will result in our joy, in purpose, things that so many are searching for. This world doesn't have those things. There's nothing in the world that's going to give them joy and purpose. There's nothing in this world that's going to give us joy and purpose apart from being used by you in this world for your sake. So convince us of that if we need convincing. Remind us of that if we need reminding. Encourage us to live in light of prayers like this and to be praying prayers like this. In Christ's name, amen. So boldly seek your Father's purposes in prayer. If you're going to do that, the first thing is you need to make sure that you are seeking your Father's purposes in prayer. That His purposes are your priority in prayer. That's the first thing, right? Seek your Father's purposes in prayer. There's several privileges, I think, that are highlighted in this prayer that Jesus gives. The first is this, that you get to be involved in what your Father is doing in the world. Let's look at this, verse 1 and 2. Said, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then he prays the Lord's prayer. But I think it's important to note when this is happening in the gospel and which gospel this is happening in. Right? Every gospel presents Jesus in a certain way and then presents his followers in light of who he is. Right? You can think of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the messianic king. He is the king. And if he's the king, what does that make us? We're his loyal subjects that want to be about what he's about. Right? Mark presents Jesus a little differently. He's the suffering servant. And he calls his followers to, like him, not come to be served, but to serve, even if it means suffering. So what's Luke trying to do? How is Luke trying to portray Jesus in Luke? And you can also include Acts in this. Well, Luke portrays Jesus as the Son of Man who came to what? Seek and save the lost. And that's exactly what we see in Luke's gospel. Jesus is saving people that many people would say they don't deserve to be saved. He's showing kindness. He's showing grace to the outcasts of society all through Luke's gospel. He's doing all these things that only Jesus can do. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. But then an interesting thing happens in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he says that the harvest is plentiful. There's tons of fruit. And it's just waiting to be picked. Then he tells the disciples this incredible news. 
you get to be a laborer in his harvest. You get to be used by God to follow after the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. You get to be a part of that work. He sends them out. It's not just a work that he does. He does it through his disciples. He does it through us. He gives us that very same calling that we would go out and seek and save the lost. Now, if you're a disciple who just saw Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, do things that are incredible that they could never do, and then he tells you, hey, why don't you go out as well? How would you feel? I would feel incredibly inadequate. Like, Jesus, I can't do what you do. I mean, I certainly can't heal the sick, raise the dead, no way, but I can't preach like you preach. I mean, I can't command people's attention like you command attention. I am completely inadequate for this mission. I mean, it's a privilege beyond, you know, it's an unfathomable privilege, but I can't do what you do. And that's really what leads into this prayer, right? I, we, have no, we are so amazed that you would want to use us, but we are also so amazed at our inadequacy to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, teach us to pray. We want to be used by you. I don't know how that's going to happen. So teach us how to pray. Teach us how to access the things that we need so that we can be used by you in the work that you're calling us to do. That's what this passage, that's, where, that's what's leading up to this passage. You know, Luke records Jesus praying more than any other gospel. And that emphasis continues in the book of Acts, right? Luke prays, at, or Jesus prays at very crucial points in his ministry. His baptism, when he chooses his disciples, the transfiguration, and then you think about the book of Acts, the same thing happens. The disciples pray when they need to choose someone to fill in the shoes of Judas, when they're persecuted for the first time and they're told, you don't preach about Christ anymore, what do they do? They pray. If you want to bear fruit in gospel ministry, you have to pray. Why? Because you don't have the strength. You don't have the power to do what he's calling you to do. But he will give it to you. That's the incredible thing about this prayer. So we get to be involved in what the Father's doing. He's going to continue seeking and saving the lost for Christ through us. That's the heartbeat of this prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, right? We're in awe that you would use us, and yet we also know that we're completely inadequate. So this prayer is a pattern for anyone that wants to be used by Christ to seek and save the lost. This prayer is for you. This is the template of prayer that you can pray if you want to be used by God on the mission that Christ came to accomplish. And so relish your involvement in the Father's mission. The Father wants to involve you in what he's doing. I mean, think about how much kids love to be involved in what their parents are doing, right? Little kids, at least, right? So we have little girls at home, and whenever mom goes to the kitchen, it's like, they're right there. They want to help. Can I crack the eggs? Can I stir this up? Can I flip the pancakes? I want to be involved in what you're doing, right? We're chopping wood. You know, we've been doing some backyard bonfires over the summer, some outdoor camping in the backyard. And Tristan, it's like he wants to chop the wood, right? I think it's more because he wants to use an axe. But, you know, I'll say it's because he wants to be involved in what I'm doing, right? But that's what he wants to do. Kids love to be involved in what their parents are doing. The disciples want to be involved in what Christ is doing. Followers of Christ want to be about what he's about. 
And so you get that privilege. Relish that privilege. But also relish the fact that you are, you get to address your God as Father. Right? How does this prayer start in verse 2? When you pray, say, Father. I mean, another privilege of prayer. You get to address him as Father. Not a boss. Not a taskmaster. You know, not some just sovereign, uncaring ruler who demands your allegiance, but a father. He loves you. He knows what you need. He knows what you need, and he can actually give you what you need. He also knows what you don't need, and he can protect you from getting what you don't really need and what would do harm to you. He's your loving father. You get to address him as father. And the amazing thing is, God is the sovereign creator of all things, and all things do owe their allegiance to him. But he says, when you pray, don't th- I don't want you to think of me like that. Think of me as your father, who knows what you need, who wants to involve you in the work that I am doing in the world, and address me as father. It's this teaching on prayer that Jesus does through these 13 verses, it begins and ends with this emphasis. He is your loving Father who loves to give good gifts. That should be your mindset when you go to pray. I have a loving Father. And when you're amazed with how loving your Father is, that He is the sovereign creator, ruler over all, and yet He saved you, and now He wants to use you, what's going to be at the top of your list, of your prayer list? His glory, His honor, His kingdom. And that's how this prayer starts, right? Prioritize your Father's purposes in prayer. Look how this prayer begins in verse 2. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. That's at the top of the list. What do I want more than anything? I want your name to be made holy. Now, that does not imply that God's name is not holy, What he's saying is, I want more people to recognize and proclaim the glory of your name. There's not enough people out there doing that. I mean, trust me, we live in this world. There is not enough people proclaiming how good God is. How good he is even to sinners. Right? People that never acknowledge him, he's still good to them. People should be proclaiming the goodness of God. Hallowed be your name. Make your name great. You're not getting the glory that you deserve. Go get more. That's what this prayer begins with. Cause more people to acknowledge your beauty and your splendor. Make more people give you praise. It's the disciples are saying, we've seen your glory. We want more people to see it. The world needs to see it. Everyone needs to acknowledge it. Hallowed be your name. Think of it this way. What do you want the world to know about your father? And that's what you're praying. Lord, help the world to see how gracious you are, how kind you are, that you sent your son, that you ransomed us through his blood. Not because we deserved it, because you wanted to. You wanted to show your love. You wanted to show your kindness. The world needs to know those things. Hallowed be your name. May more people see that and acknowledge it and give their lives for it. Hallowed be your name. Then he says this, your kingdom come. What's he saying? Your plans, your purposes, may they be accomplished. Not mine. I mean, I don't, who cares about my plans, my purpose? Get those out of here. I don't care. Your kingdom come. Not mine. Yours. Because yours is good. Yours is perfect. 
Mine could go who knows where, but your plans are perfect plans. May your kingdom come. So what are the Father's plans? What are we praying when we pray your kingdom come? We'll look at Revelation 5. I think it's just a wonderful picture of what you're praying when you pray your kingdom come. What do we want to see happen? What is God doing in the world? Where is all of this going? Revelation 5. John's writing Revelation. He's looking forward to the day when the dwelling place of God will be with men. And in the first few verses of Revelation 5, it seems like for an instant that it's not going to happen. He says, who's, there's an angel that says, who's worthy to take the scroll? And for a moment, it looks like nobody is. Nobody's going to finish this work. Nobody's going to bring the dwelling place of God to be with men. And John weeps. He weeps in verse 4, but then in verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I think prayers like this one. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And the party keeps going. Verse 12, more people join in saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And the songs keep coming. Verse 13, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's where this is all going. That's what this world is all about. Let me have a taste of that in this world. May more people be doing that. You're rescuing people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Every, from all of those people, they're going to be worshiping the lamb that was slain. Your kingdom come. May that happen even more on this earth as it will in heaven. Your kingdom come. This prayer is let me experience what that's like. Let me be involved in more people coming to know you. Send me to the nations. Send me to my neighbor. Allow me to proclaim the good news of Christ so that more people will be worshiping the lamb who was slain for them. Whatever it takes, I want that. I want my life to be poured out for that. His glory, his honor, that is the heartbeat of this prayer. That's the heartbeat of a true disciple. I want his glory. I want God to wring out every ounce of glory he can from my life so that he gets the honor. All to him. And if that's the heartbeat of a true disciple, that's the heartbeat of someone who wants to seek and save the lost, is that the heartbeat of your prayers? 
Not what you want your prayers to be, but if you think back, even this week, was that the heartbeat of my prayers this week? That his kingdom would come? That his name would be hallowed? You know, I think back to, you know, this convicting thought. If every prayer that you prayed, if every prayer that maybe all of the people in Valley Bible Church prayed from this last week, if it was answered, would Revelation 5 be closer than if we didn't pray those things? I think some of us could say yes. I think a lot of us, like, if, if what, are, what usually tops our prayer list? My dog, my job, you know, my nephew, my niece... Right? If every prayer was answered, would, would the world be changed? Or would we just have like the healthiest pets and relatives of anyone else in the world, right? And I'm not suggesting that God doesn't care about those things. He absolutely, he's a loving father. He cares about every single aspect of your life. The question is, what do you care about? Do you care about his kingdom coming? Or do you care about your kingdom coming? Your will being done? Or his will being done? What is the heartbeat of your prayers? I hope it's this. Hallowed be your name. You're so glorious. You're so majestic. You're so worthy of worship, and not enough people see that. Like, my loved ones don't see that. My neighbors don't see that. The world certainly doesn't see that. Lord, reveal yourself to them. May your kingdom come. Live for that. Hallowed be your name. Use me. Even in that process, that's the heartbeat of this prayer. Now, you might ask the question, well, if that's where your focus is, if that's where the prayer starts, well, where does that leave your needs? Right? Where does that leave the things that you need and, and everything else? Well, I think it leads you to start seeing your needs differently. That you don't primarily think about your needs in terms of these are the things I need, God give them to me. You see them as, here are the things that I need that I'm going to trust that God's going to give me so I can be about his mission, right? Depend on the Father to outfit you for his purposes. Look at verses 3 and 4. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. All of those requests need to be seen under the banner of your kingdom come. Right? Your kingdom come. I want to be all about your kingdom, your mission. I want to be involved in seeking and saving the lost. So meet my needs so that I can go do that. Forgive me. Meet my spiritual needs so that I can go do that. Lead me not into temptation so I can be about what you're about. That's how all of those requests should be seen. Again, I mean, sometimes we totally flip this prayer upside down, right? Meet my needs. Give me what I need. And if you do that, then maybe I'll live for your kingdom. Right? I mean, think about this. We have wants, we have needs, and then we have Christ's kingdom. How do our prayers, what's the order of our prayers normally? Usually it's what we want. That usually tops our prayer list. And then maybe sometimes what we need. And then rarely his kingdom coming. And we need to flip that upside down. Lord, your kingdom come. That's all I want. I want you to meet my needs so that I can be about your kingdom. I want you to forgive me so that I can be about what you, your work in the world. That's how we should see all of our needs as things that are just, they're only necessary because we want to be freed up to accomplish his mission. That's what he says in Matthew 6, right? Seek first his kingdom and everything else, everything else you need will be added to you. 
Notice he says, give us this day our daily bread, right? This is talking about what we need. So he's not talking about what you want. So he's not saying, you know, give us this day our Xbox, our Ferrari, our new iPhone. No, it's a request for what you need, and it's a request for what you need today. It's not a request for what you need tomorrow, right? I don't need tomorrow's needs to be met to live for you today. I need today's needs met so I can live for you today, but I don't need tomorrow's. I don't need to know that the bank account's going to be just fine when I go to retire to live for you today. I don't need to know how the appointment will turn out in two weeks to live for you today. All I need is what I need for today so I can be about your mission. For tomorrow, I'll trust you for tomorrow's needs, but today, I'm trusting you for today so that I can live for you. We want to have moment-by-moment trust in the Father's gracious care. He's going to care for us. I can seek his kingdom because I know he'll care for me. He'll give me my daily bread if I'm about what he's about. Another thing that this implies is that we have a moment-by-moment desire to live for the Father's purposes, right? We want to live for him now. I want to live for him today, not tomorrow, right? What do we usually do? We usually think, well, I'll work today, I'll save up some money, and then I'll live for him then. So when I have everything I need in the future, then I'll live for God. But for today, I mean, I just got to take care of my needs, and I got to make sure I have enough for later. When I want to live for God, oh, I will. Don't, don't doubt me. I'll do that then. But what happens? Well, that day never comes, and you end up wasting today because you're living for tomorrow. Live today for his kingdom, his glory, and trust he'll meet your needs for today. He'll meet your needs for tomorrow, tomorrow. You don't have to worry about tomorrow, today. Live for him today. He'll meet all the things that you need. So give us this day our daily bread. That's what that is talking about. But we also have spiritual needs. He gets that in verse 4. He says, Father, forgive us our sins. We need forgiveness. And what he's talking about here is we need relational forgiveness. He's not talking about eternal forgiveness, right? When you trust in Christ, you are forgiven your sins completely. Sins that you'll keep, you know, doing for the rest of your life are all forgiven in Christ. He's not talking about courtroom forgiveness. He's talking about family room forgiveness. Like when you sin, your relationship with your father is disrupted. Your fellowship with him is disrupted. Just like an earthly father, right? I mean, imagine your son comes up to you, he says, hey, can I borrow the car? And you say, no, not this weekend. You know, there's different things going on and you're not, I'm not going to let you borrow it. Well, let's say he goes and he gets your keys and he takes the car out and does whatever he wants anyway. Then he wrecks the car and, you know, he kind of like gets it dragged back to the house and it's sitting in your driveway, like falling apart. And you see this and you know exactly what happened. And so your son comes into the kitchen the next morning and says, so what's for breakfast? That's not the way it works, right? There's a wrecked car in the front yard. We're not going to be able to just go on with the rest of our day like nothing happened. That's what Jesus is talking about. Father, forgive us. He's not saying like eternal forgiveness. Again, you have that in Christ the moment you put your faith in him. But what he's talking about is when you sin, you need to ask him for forgiveness so that your relationship can be restored. And again, why, why is this part of this prayer? I want to be about what you're about. I want to seek first your kingdom. If there's sin between us, like that's going to hinder that. So Lord, clear the way. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me so that you can use me again. So that I could be effective for you. It's relational family room forgiveness that he's talking about here. 
And then he makes this kind of a shocking statement. He says, forgive us our sins for or because we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Now, at first glance, it seems like, you know, you're kind of bargaining with God, like, hey, I forgave these people, so you need to forgive me, right? Or that somehow his forgiveness is dependent on our forgiveness. What's going on? First, remember, again, this is family room forgiveness. This is not courtroom forgiveness that he's talking about, right? Restore our relationship because we've been restoring the relationships with those in our lives. That's what he's saying. You could think about it the reverse, I think, is helpful. Father, don't forgive us our sins if we're not forgiving those who are indebted to us. Right? This is God, meet my spiritual needs so that I can be useful to you. You know one surefire way to not be useful to God? Be in unresolved conflict with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to hinder you. That's going to hinder your usefulness for Christ. So he says, Father, forgive us. We want to be right with you. And I recognize that I need to be right with my brothers and sisters. So that's what this prayer is all about. Meet, meet every need that I have so I'm freed up to be useful to you. Help me to be forgiving one another. Forgive me of the sins that I've done. Don't let there be any hindrance in my heart to being used by you. So again, if you want to be used by God to seek and save the lost, take your relationships with your brothers and sisters seriously. Forgive one another. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to ask for forgiveness if you sin against somebody else so that your fruitfulness would not be hindered in the gospel. So fruitfulness, usefulness, that's what this is all about, and that's why the last request makes so much sense. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive my current sin. Help me to forgive those that are sinning against me and keep me from any temptation. Now, that, of course, does not suggest that God would lead us into temptation, but it's just saying, no, protect me from temptation. Don't let me wander down the paths that are going to lead to temptation. I want to be useful. I want to be on mission for you. Do not let me squander that opportunity. Keep me from temptation. That's what this prayer is all about. I want to be useful to you. So prioritize his purposes in prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yes, meet all my needs. Give me, forgive me, lead me. But may all of those things happen so that I would be useful to you. But Christ isn't done. So that's what we're to pray. That should be the general shape of our prayers. God's priorities, the Father's priorities, not ours. Our needs subservient to his priorities. But then he also gives these two wonderful pictures of the Father to close out this teaching on prayer because he wants us to come to the Father with boldness. So first, boldly seek the Father's purposes because he delights to give. Look at verses 5 through 8. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up to give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what's going on? Well, a friend of yours is entertaining friends, and he's run out of food. 
And this is a day when you don't have Taco Bell, you don't have the 7-Eleven that you could go to and buy food. So what do you got to do? I got to go to somebody's house. I'm going to go to my friend's house and ask him for some food so that I can share with my friends. So the guy, it's midnight too, right? He's realizing this a little last minute. It's maybe like some of us, but he start, you can just picture it, right? You hear this knock at your door at midnight. Kind of one eye opens. You're like, uh, I'm not going to deal with that. But then the knocking continues, right? You're like, no, go away. There's nobody here. Knocking continues. Tap, 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 tap. It's like, go away. I'm already in my PJs. The kids are in bed. Do you know how long it took me to get these little monsters to quiet down? I'm not getting out of bed. We're not answering the door. Go away. But he keeps knocking, right? Your friend keeps knocking. Dogs start barking. The neighbor's lights are going on. What are you going to do? You'll finally answer the door. Why? Because he's your dear friend and he's in need. No, not because of that, right? Because his persistence is embarrassing. That's why you're going to answer the door. Not because you care about your friend and this poor guy can't, you know, give food to his, his friends. No, he's embarrassingly persistent. So you open the door. What's the point? Jesus is saying God's not like that. God's not annoyed with your prayers. Especially if they're prayers where you want to be useful to him. He's not annoyed. He's going to answer. He's going to answer right away. And so keep on asking him. He wants to answer your prayers. God is not annoyed by your prayers. Don't ever think that when you're coming to your father that he's thinking like, oh, like again? Didn't I just answer his prayers last week? Like, ugh. Like, why cannot, why can't she get her life together for two minutes without coming to me? That's not how God is. He wants to answer your prayers. Come to him. He's your father. He wants to hear from you. He wants to give good gifts. So be bold. Be persistent. Be embarrassingly persistent. And that's basically what Jesus says next. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. This is a truth so good, he says it twice. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. He wants to answer. Do it, and he will answer. I mean, there are these amazing blank check verses in the scripture about prayer. Like, if you pray, he will answer. But remember the context, right? You're not praying for, hey, I want the Ferrari, I need a new iPhone, blah, 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 blah. What are you praying for? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. If you pray that, if you're bold in praying that, he's going to answer it every single time. I want to be useful to you. I want to be used by you. I want to share the gospel with someone. I want to see people saved, not for my glory, but for your glory. Ask, seek, and knock, and he will answer. Blank check from God. If you want to be used by him, you ask, and he will answer. God delights to answer your prayers. And if that's not incentive enough, Christ gives you one more picture to encourage you to pray. And so we can boldly seek the Father's purposes because he only gives good gifts. Look at verse 11 and 12. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your heavenly Father give? Right? So what's the picture? The picture is, there's a child. He comes to you, your child, right? They want an egg. You know, they want a fish. And what are you going to give them? Well, the first thing I might ask, like, why do you want those things, right? What are you going to do with a fish and an egg? No, no. So let's assume those are good things that they're requesting. That's a good request. What's a father going to do? Even an evil father. What's an evil father going to do? He's not going to give him a scorpion. He's not going to give him a snake. He's going to give him what he wants. He's going to give good gifts to his children. So this is a correction, right? This is don't think that the father will not respond. Or don't think that the father is going to give bad gifts. He's only going to give good gifts. Even evil fathers do that. So how much more is your heavenly father going to give good gifts? So if you're not praying because you don't think God will answer, stop it. Keep, go back. Go back to praying. Keep praying because he will answer. And he'll give good gifts. Now you might ask, well, what if I don't get what I asked for? Well, one, just keep praying. Sometimes God has us pray for things for a long time before he answers. So it might not be his timing. But even if there's no answer, trust that no answer is a good answer from God. Right? The great theologian Garth Brooks once said, you know, I thank God for unanswered prayers, right? So there's truth in that, right? Sometimes an unanswered, a seemingly unanswered prayer is actually exactly what we need at the time. And then also, don't think that the Father is going to give bad and hurtful gifts. You know, sometimes when we pray, things don't turn out the way that we want it. We might have asked, God, do this, and God does something totally different. But when he does something totally different, he's not giving you a snake. He's not giving you a scorpion. He's giving you a good gift, even when things don't go the way that you hoped. He only gives good gifts. I mean, you might feel like, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and my marriage is not getting better. Or I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and this disease isn't going away. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and my child is still in rebellion. When those things happen, and they might happen, God is not giving you a scorpion. He's not giving you a snake. He's giving you a good gift. And we don't know how it's all going to work out. But we can trust that if we love him, every time we pray, he answers our prayers in the way that is best for us and will lead to his glory. And we'll rejoice in that. One day, hopefully we see some of those things come to fruition even in this life, but I'm sure in the next life, we'll get to see all the ways that our trials were actually used for our good and for his glory. He only gives good gifts. He doesn't give bad ones. He doesn't have any bad ones to give. And then lastly, look at what is the gift that he gives in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now this kind of is shocking. To, I, when I first read these verses, like the Holy Spirit, like where did that come from? You know, it's like I'm thinking like, you know, Jesus is giving all these encouragements. Pray, ask, it's going to be given to you. Seek, you'll find it. Knock, the door's going to be open. So you start making your Christmas list, right? 
I mean, I want like a rock-solid marriage. I want my kids to be believers. I want a great job. I want this and this and this, right? Just like a kid would, right? You're writing down your Christmas list at home if you're kids. I want my Xbox. I want the iPhone. I want this, that, and the other thing. You get so excited because you know your parents are good, right? Your parents are kind. They're going to give you good gifts. Even evil parents give you. My parents aren't evil. So they're going to give you great gifts. You run down the stairs as fast as you can. Christmas morning, you see the box. You tear it open, and there's socks and underwear inside, you're like, wait, what is it? I think that's kind of the feeling I would have if I was the disciple. Like, God's going to answer your prayers. Like, ask him for whatever you want, and he'll make sure you answer it. You get so excited, you run down the stairs, and you're like, the Holy Spirit? It's, did, did you keep the receipt? It's like, I, wanted, I had a husband. I wanted, you know, my friend. I wanted friends. I wanted toys. I wanted this. I wanted that. The Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with that? But where did this prayer start? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Seek and save the lost. What better gift for someone who wants to seek and save the lost than the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit empowers you to witness for Christ. What does Jesus say? When they arrest you and they take you before rulers and all these things, what does he say? Don't worry. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to give you words to say when you need to witness for Christ. What can the Spirit do that you can't do? He can convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He can work in the heart of the people that you're talking to, that you're sharing Christ with. This is the gift that you need. If you want to be seeking and saving the lost, this is the gift that you most need. And Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the wonderful thing is, we have the Holy Spirit right now. We have this gift. I mean, many of us probably, if we had a Christmas list with God, where would the Holy Spirit fit on that Christmas list? Jesus says that should be top of the list. If you want to be useful to me, you need the Spirit. And that's exactly what he wants to give. He wants to make you bold for Christ. He wants to give you the words to say when you don't know what to say. He says, my Spirit will do that. He'll convict the heart of the person that you're talking to. Only the Spirit can do that, and that's exactly what Jesus says the Father will give you if you want his kingdom to come. I mean, what a wonderful gift that the Father gives. The Father's anxious to give the Spirit to those who want to see his name be hallowed. And Christ assumes that that's the top, at the top of the list. If you're, I want to be used by you. What's at the top of my list if I want to be used for you? The Holy Spirit is what should be at the top of my list. Because I don't have the power. I'm weak. I'm inadequate. I don't know what to say. But you can give me your Spirit. And you can work even through me. If you're in awe of what the Father's doing in the world, that he's rescuing people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to worship the Lamb, and that he would use you, then pray this kind of prayer. Prioritize his purposes. Depend on him. He'll meet, trust him to meet all of your physical and spiritual needs and boldly ask for the Spirit's power in your life. And what I love about this prayer is that Jesus doesn't just give this as a model of prayer for us. This is the kind of prayer that he himself prayed. Because when he was facing the cross, what did he pray? 
not my will, but your will be done. This is a prayer that Christ prayed. I want the Father, I want my Father glorified among all peoples for all time. So may his will be done. And that can be a terrifying prayer. It was for Christ. It was a terrifying prayer to face the suffering that was going to be poured out on him by the Father. And if we follow in his steps, the answer to this prayer sometimes might be terrifying. That God's going to take us to places maybe where we don't want to go, but he's going to work even through us. But the other thing to keep in mind is that when Christ was thinking about the cross, what did it say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His will and your joy are married in this prayer. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. If you don't know Christ, this could actually be a prayer of repentance. I've been living for my glory. I've been living for my plans and my purposes, and I know that doesn't work. And even worse than it doesn't work, it's offensive to you because your plans and your glory are perfect. You can pray this prayer as a prayer of repentance. Put your trust in Christ. Father, I don't want to live for my glory anymore. I want to live for yours. And I'll trust that you'll meet every need that I have. You've already met my biggest need in Christ. If I put my trust in him, you'll meet every other need. And you'll free me up to live for you. If you do know Christ, pray these kinds of prayers. And check yourself every now and then, right? I mean, I think sometimes our needs, our wants, they start trickling back up to the top of our prayer list. Remind yourself, what are we here to do? We're to follow after our Savior who came to seek and save the lost. We get to follow after a Savior. We get to be involved. He didn't have to involve us. He could just go save people individually however he wanted to and never involve us. But he wants to do it even through us. And that's a privilege. And it's also a responsibility. So pray these kinds of prayers and live this kind of life. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. I want to give you just a couple minutes right now, just where you are. Pray this prayer to your Father. Pray that he would use your life for his glory. And then I'll close us in a moment. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. We've been adopted through the blood of your Son. At great cost to you, you brought us into your family, and we get to call you Father. And Lord, not only do we get to call you Father, we get to be involved in what you're doing. We get to tell other people that you can do the same thing for them, that there's a standing offer from God, that if people put their trust in Christ, their sins can be forgiven, they can be reconciled to you, and they can spend the rest of their life worshiping you for your goodness and your kindness, especially through the cross. Lord, what a privilege we have to tell a world that desperately needs the truth that Christ paid for their sins and that we can be reconciled to you. Lord, one day, Revelation 5 will come true and people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be standing around the throne singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And that song will continue forever, for all eternity. That's where everything's headed. That's where everything's going. That's the guarantee that we have in this life that it's all going to end up there one day. May we live today in light of that day. Use us. We want to be used by you. We're amazed that you would use us. We do sense our inadequacy 
and our powerlessness to do anything good in the world apart from you, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your spirit to give us boldness that we would open our mouths. We need your spirit to give us the words so that when we do open our mouths, that it's your word that goes forth. We need your spirit to convict the hearts of those that we're talking to. We can't change anyone's mind. We can't change anyone's heart. But you can. Your spirit can. And so we pray that you would use us. Father, forgive us. I think sometimes we don't pray this prayer because we care more about our kingdom than your kingdom. And maybe too often we pray that we don't pray this prayer because we don't really think that you can use us. But you can. You will. It says, ask, seek, knock. It will be answered. It will be opened. So Lord, give us your spirit. Use us. Give us people this week, today, tomorrow. Give us people that we can share the gospel with. Make it just obvious to us that the Spirit would prompt us to be like, this is exactly what you prayed for. This is exactly what I'm doing. And help us to trust you in that moment to open our mouths for Christ and to be used by you. And may it not be just cold obedience that leads us to do that, but may it be an overflow of love that we have for you and that we want more people to acknowledge who you are. So thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Help us to pray like this. Help us to live like this. In Christ's name, amen.